All right, motivators, I hope you brought your donuts today. Hope you brought them jelly-filled, diabetic donuts today because we are dipping in to the law enforcement community. We got a special guest on the show today. His name is Matt. He's been with law enforcement for the past 20-plus years. He's done everything from the patrol cop. He's done narcotics all the way up to a commander on a SWAT team. His story is actually pretty cool. Our journey together is actually pretty remarkable, and it is hysterical. Okay, we talk about that. We touch on PTSD in the law enforcement community and the traumatic experiences they see on a daily basis. We also touch on them coping mechanisms. We talk about the support system. Okay, so if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us anywhere you want to find us at Bros and Five O's. Also, check me out on social media wherever you want to find me at Ben Lunek. So, hope you guys enjoy. Hope you guys get motivated. Godspeed and faithful we shall remain. Well, I want to thank you, Matt, for uh, wearing a shirt tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, driving over here without one, and uh, when I came to the neighborhood, there were some kids, so <laughs> put it back on before I rolled up. <laughs> oh, man. Can you believe that was over two years ago now? No, right? That was, it's crazy, man. A lot of stuff going on since mm-hmm. then. Got a, we got a good friend Matt on right now. Um, he's pretty much the main reason why I'm doing what I'm doing right now, going around speaking, helping veterans, making an impact, and it's completely random on how we met. One, I guess through we met through Jason. Yeah, yeah, mutual friend, and uh, kind of hit me up one day and said, "Hey, I got this kid that I think would be good for your SWAT team to hear." And uh, at the time, I was running our team, and, and so I had control of, you know, what type of training we were doing. And so you and I linked up, and you came and talked to my team. And uh, after that, man, it just, it's like we are long lost family. Yeah, I know. Right? <laughs> it's been crazy, one thing after another. Yeah. And then yeah. Just let up. But uh, you want to tell them about that one random day? Yeah, the, uh, wait, are we talking the... The shirtless day or the shirtless day. <laughs> yeah. yeah, dude. Oh, <laughs> uh, man. Yeah, so I need to redeem myself because you had a podcast that uh, kind of threw me under the bus and made me sound a little bit crude. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, uh, I do some stuff with the NRA or have done some stuff in the past with the NRA, some different uh, web-based stuff like the Life of Duty. And... Uh, so those guys that I had worked with, they had come out and done a piece on our SWAT team, and uh, it had been featured on the Life of Duty Network on NRA, and a couple of the guys that came out were coming to town to do some some more stuff uh, with some of the magazines for the NRA. So they had hit me up, said, hey, we're going to be up in Scottsdale, and we're going to be at this tattoo shop, and I'm like, holy shit, <laughs> that's the tattoo shop that I get tattoos at, you know? Mm-hmm. So they're like, yeah, well, you know, we're going to be up there this day, this time. Can you make it up? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. I can make it up. And by that time, you and I had, had been talking and, and uh, you know, trying to push you forward with the stuff you were doing. And so for whatever reason, when they hit me up and they said, basically, uh, they're going to do a feature on this tattoo shop. They're going to talk about these guys and talk about some of the stuff behind the guys because the cop owned the shop. And uh, I said, and when I told them, yeah, I get my tattoos, they're like, oh, cool. Well, can we take some pictures of your tattoos? I'm like, cool, yeah, you know, no problem. I figured that's why I wore a tank top because I figured, okay, well, that'll show off, you know, my arm and a little bit of the 
the test wherever you did the work. Anyways, I, I had this uh, unnerving feeling that you needed to go with me. And I, I honestly do, well, I mean, we both know what that feeling was. Oh, it, absolutely. It, yeah, yeah. It, was, it was God smacking me in the head saying, yeah. this needs to happen. Mm -hmm. um, so there was obviously a connection that needed to be made there, and I was, I was the means to do that. So I had the feeling that I had to call you and get you up there to meet these guys for whatever reason. So I asked them, hey, is it cool if I bring my buddy Ben? Um, he done been blown up. And they're like, yeah, yeah, bring him up, man. And so uh, then I call you and I'm like, hey, Ben, you want to go up? And you're like, yeah, rock on, dude, let's go. All right, cool, can you uh, drive, dude? <laughs> so, so you're like, yeah, no problem. So we head up to Scottsdale and uh, get to the shop and, and that's where shit kind of got weird, man. Dude, it was really weird. <laughs> First of all, I, I was nervous the whole time because we barely hung out up to this point. Right. You know, we saw each other at church every once in a while. Right. And then, <clears throat> they're like, hey, uh, why don't you meet some dudes up in uh, Scottsdale at a tattoo shop? Do you mind driving? I said, no, let's do it, man. And I had to work that night. I was working nights at Home Depot at the time. That's right. That's so we went there. We walked into this tattoo shop and... Uh, there was this girl hopped up on something. Remember that? <laughs> yeah, she was like crying and laughing and <laughs> doing what people do when they're on oxy. Right, you know, right. Huge. Yeah, she was all ready out, man. Mm -hmm. Well, we we got there. We met the fellas, and mm -hmm. uh, I think it was a little bit uh, better than once you met the guys. You were like, all right, this is legit. They were yeah. setting up like legit camera stuff. <laughs> you were like, all right, cool. This isn't a bit. Yeah. <laughs> hey, come here, I got something for you. Go in that back room there, you're going to see a flash, don't worry about yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, but uh, those dudes set up the cameras and they, you know, they got rolling and stuff, but uh, I didn't really anticipate having to take my shirt off uh, for the, the photo shoot, but apparently that was part of the requirement. Dude, this was 100% professional, lighting, everything, and it was... They didn't only make you do it once, but they made you do it twice and like be like, look down and then look up at the sky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, yeah. And see, they, so having worked with those guys before, I kind of knew, I knew the process of uh -huh. when they're doing still shots, you know, they'll have you look down and then they'll have you like look up all of a sudden at the camera and then they'll mm -hmm. snap a shot or a series of shots and get what looks good. And, and you know, they're trying to get those, those badass looks or whatever. So I, I kind of knew, but yeah, it was... It was definitely weird because I had taken my shirt off. And so you got to see, during this whole time, set this up. Here's a tattoo shop with live tattoos going in some of the bays. And we're taking up another bay that's having this photo shoot go on. And then Ben's just kind of standing back in the darkness watching this whole thing take place. <laughs> I'm just that random guy in the back, just looking. Just kind of being the creeper. <laughs> kind of in a corner. Every once in a while I hear these weird noises and I'm like... So we uh, we do the photo <clears throat> shoot and uh, finish that up, and then we went out to uh, Ruth Chrissy's, and those guys treated us to a hell of a dinner. Unbelievable, man! And, and then, yeah, before that, we went to some hotel room. Right. And, oh yeah, this I one I met Rick, or whatever. No yeah. idea this guy brought us to a hotel room, and I worked at, out of work. I had to work that night. Guy like he, he's I guess obsessed with whiskey. He's Woodford, like, yeah. Woodford Reserve, dude. yeah. Yep. He poured us all a shot, and I'm like, dude, I can't. I gotta work. He's like, where do you work? I'm like, Home Depot. He's like, fuck that. No. 
And now Rick, he's an old Sear guy, right? So yeah, he's he's an old hardcore dude. Mm -hmm. So of course I had to take the shot, you right? Know? Yeah. And then we went to this beautiful steakhouse, and then came home. Wife was like, "Where'd you guys go?" I was like, "You know, Applebee's." <laughs> kidnapped me. Mm -hmm. They got naked, took me to a hotel room, yeah. and then out to get a steak. They got me drunk. Good, uh, good yeah. times. And then because of that very moment, every, I mean, it's because literally all this stuff is here and I'm, a, I'm able to talk to you. So right, right. God has been doing some amazing things. Yeah. And That was crazy, man, because, you know, when you and I talked about it and we looked back at that moment, mm -hmm. it that was funny as shit when we yeah. looked back at it because we were like, how weird is all that stuff that we did that night? But so that the people have an understanding that are listening to this, that night, all the weird stuff that happened equaled like a snowball effect of things from there forward for, for Ben. Yeah, and, and it, it was just awesome stuff that, that came out of that. And, and so like I said, I knew in my heart that I was supposed to take you for a reason. Once... We went, we finished. I was like, well, you know, I don't know. Nothing happened. So we were like, whatever. But then once stuff did happen, we're like, all right. Happened about like a year later. Right. Not even like Veterans Day the next year. Right. And uh, it was crazy. No idea, you know? Yep. So, well, Matt's here right now. And it's he works for a law enforcement agency. And he does a lot of cool things. He's been on the force for like 80 years. <laughs> <laughs> 23 tomorrow, bro. Yeah. 23 tomorrow? Tomorrow. Wow, congratulations, yeah. man. Are you thinking about retiring anytime soon? Nah, dude, there's just a lot of work. Yeah, a lot of work, man. Oh, yeah. yeah. They need good people like you. Oh, dude. Well, it's just, you know, the fight's here now, bro, so. It is. Yeah. Intense. Yeah. So, how, how, um, what made you to, what made you decide, because you got on, you got, you got with an agency very young, right. at a young age. What was like, I guess, the fork in the road? Because normally, when like when I joined the Marines, I was tied up into, you know, I was either gonna be a, a freaking loser, nobody addict type deal, or I was gonna go off and serve the Marines. Did you ever have that point in your life where you're like, you know what, this is what I want to do, let's do it. Otherwise, it's gonna snowball. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I know people can't see because mm -hmm. this is a podcast, but so I'm a white guy. Mm -hmm. uh, and I grew up in a predominantly Hispanic neighborhood, uh, low, low uh, money housing. And mom was a single mom, you know, we were in section eight. So poverty stricken neighborhood and grew up with dudes that essentially became thugs in that neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And I uh, grew up around gangs, grew up around gangsters, saw that life. Um, a lot of my friends went to prison. Some of them got killed. Mm -hmm. A few of them made it on the straight side. And uh, when I was in my teens, my mom said, well, it's time to, to move away from this. And we moved to the outskirts of Phoenix because I was living in South Phoenix at that time. Mm -hmm. Moved to the outskirts of Phoenix and moved to a small town, which was uh, really a lifesaver for me because it got me away from all that. Not that I was caught up in any BS over there, but it's really easy to get caught up in that crap, you know? Um, so I was in high school, just, you know, doing my thing in small town high school, didn't really figure out what I wanted to do. And, uh, much like you, I was sitting there one day and I just, you know, I was working some odd job the summer right after high school. And I was like, fuck this, I'm going to be a Marine. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, 
So at that time, it was just prior to, uh, that would have been 1990. I go down by myself, I meet with the recruiter, I get all this stuff done. And uh, then he comes over and he meets my mom and, uh, you know, they talk and we're going to we're gonna go do our thing. And so when I talk to this recruiter, now this is going to be amazing to some people, but he lied. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> dude, I can't stand recruiters, dude. I cannot stand, I was lucky I had a good recruiter, right. meaning that. I talked to him, I think, a total of two times. <laughs> Once was when I signed up. I didn't go to any of that delayed entry program crap and then the time I left. But I I don't like recruiters, dude. Right. You know. So this dude, when when I so I had a plan in my mind, I was like, all right, I'm gonna go to the Marine Corps for a couple of years, get out and, and go be a cop. Mm-hmm. And I so I already had that in my mind what I wanted to do. When I talked to him, the whole time I was talking to him, uh, he was telling me two years, two because at that time the army still had the two year program. So he was like, "Yeah, two years, two years, two years." Two years. I yeah, I, I told him, "Dude, I just want to get in, do my stuff, and, and get out and, and come back and do some things, you know." So he was like, "Yep, yep, yep." And the night before I was going to go down and do everything official, he calls to make sure everything's cool, and he's like, "Yeah, you know, got you for a four year commitment." Da, 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 da. I'm like, "Whoa, wait a minute, bro. We talked about two years." He's like, oh, no, you know, that's that's the Army. We don't do two years in the Marine Corps. And I said, well, you've been telling me this whole time. Two years, is, that's what you got. No, we don't do that. And I'm like, all right, man. Well, uh, he says, if, if you want to do two years, you have to go to the Army. And I'm like, well, dude, I, I don't want to be in the Army. I want to be in the Marine. You know? He says, well, then you have to do four. I said, I'm not doing four, man, because I got a plan. Mm-hmm. And he was, you know, giving me all the typical lines. It'll go by faster than you know and so I told him no I'm, I'm not coming down tomorrow and so he you know went up one side and down the other and I ended up hanging up on him and uh, then I was pissed off yeah, I was pissed off because I got lied to I was like oh, this motherfucker. But then I wanted to be a marine so I was I sat there for a little while you know a few months and went back and forth um, then I said I had help that I'm you know just gonna stay here I'm gonna work and I'm gonna try and get into the cop stuff, and mm-hmm. uh, so I first started. I figured I'd go for the prisons first, and, mm-hmm. and kind of work over. End up just applying, applying, applying. Times going by, and uh, finally, when I was, I would have been nineteen. I got the uh, the phone calls to start testing in, in different places, and so I started uh, taking the different tests for different agencies all over here, all over the valley. I got hired by the agency I'm with, and it was when I was uh, twenty years old. Dude, that's, that's incredibly young. Right. Like, how did you have the responsibility? Like, uh, the matu- I guess the maturity. I don't even know if I did, bro. I just, <laughs> I knew what I wanted to do, you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh, I was I was just focused on that. Yeah. And I don't know that I was mature enough because I think, uh, well, I know for a fact, just like going into the Marine yeah. Corps, you, you mature really quickly mm-hmm. when you have to. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know that I was mature enough when I started young and, um, and I'm I'm a pretty loyal dude, you know. Yeah. So I've I've been there ever since, and so yeah. 23 years. <laughs> <clears throat> Going in at such a young age, did you ever? Because uh, when you're, I guess when you're in the community, you guys see what we don't see, and like what we don't see does not happen. You know what I mean? Right. Like, was that a huge eye opener for you when you first hit the streets? Uh or were you expecting it, kind of? I was, I, I was actually kind of used to it because growing oh. up where I grew up, um, I had 
been shot at already. Yeah. I had seen people shot. I had been stabbed. I, you know, I grew up in a pretty rough area, mm-hmm. um, and there was a lot of stuff going on at that time. You got to think back, man, in the uh, the 80s when I was in, in South Phoenix, there was a lot of gang stuff going on. So we had the Crips and the Bloods going on in L.A., and a lot of them had moved over to the Phoenix area, so we had a lot of that influence. Um, the Hispanic gangs that had been there for generations, there was a lot of fighting going on between them, so it was a, a, a rough area. So I, I was kind of streetwise all that. I have some of my family is on the other side, dude. I yeah. have an uncle who just got out of lockup after, I think he was locked up for like 27 years on this last yeah. day. Yeah, I, I had seen both sides, so it wasn't a huge surprise to me. Um, I guess... Some of the most surprising stuff or the, the stuff that hits you that you don't realize is going to hit you is the death, you know, because yeah. uh, there's all kinds of different deaths, as, as you know, um, and seeing dead friends, dead kids, um, those are two things probably that I wasn't as prepared for as I guess you might think you are. Yeah, that's what, uh, with you guys, so I've never seen I, my, I've never seen a dead kid, you know, I've never seen a dead teenager, right. but I've seen a lot of dead adults, but um, I couldn't even imagine, like, especially now that I have kids, could, I couldn't imagine seeing that, you know? I don't like the, the whole, I think the PTSD thing mm-hmm. is, is, I don't know, overinflated, I don't know if that's the yeah. right word, you know what I mean? It, oh, it just dude. gets used too much for too many things, yeah. like a broad stroke. think that when you when you see certain things uh, because dude I've been in shootings and uh, you know we've, we've shot and killed people we've all that stuff man and um, it's different because you're just like just like the guys on the front lines in the military yeah at that moment you're in battle and you're not yeah. really worried about all the other crap you're just worried about a surviving and then be your yeah. brother or sister next to you, you know. Um, but it's those after effects when you when you're dealing with, like I said, dead kids, especially or, or dead friends, um, or even when you see a family situation that's similar to you. I, I think that's what happens is a lot of times you just you store this stuff and you uh, you use mental techniques, I guess, to yeah. kind of deal with stuff. There's some stuff that's, that hits so close to home yeah. that you just can't deal with it mm-hmm. like you, you normally would. And so you store that stuff away, and then I never realized what happens because I was pretty good at storing stuff. Mm-hmm. I would never try and take anything home, you know. And I had seen a lot of bad things. I, I've watched people burn to death. Yeah. I couldn't do anything for them yeah. while they're screaming for my help. Yeah. I've been holding people as they're on their way out with more broken bones than I've ever seen a person have, you know, and, and body parts twisted and guts hanging out. I know that's kind of graphic, but, you know, the truth is I've, I've seen a lot of bad go home and you just kind of compartmentalize that stuff, put it away, and you don't realize that you can only do that so long that, that your brain hits overload. Oh. So there was a point where I hit overload and all of a sudden I'm a babbling idiot and I'm crying for no reason and I don't I don't even know what the fuck's going on you know I'm just like what is wrong with me man like <laughs> you know because 
like, why I'm crying doesn't even make sense. You know, right. like, you spilled okay. some whiskey and I'm fucking crying. You spilled whiskey, man. But it has nothing to do with the whiskey. It's yeah. about all the shit that you've stored away. So that was a, that was a pretty long explanation. No, that's good, dude. And the one thing I keep, because uh, back in the military, dude, I guess we go back to our boys. We don't go back to a family when uh, we were over there. And when, when shit just hit the fan, like, when I was blown up, fucking my boys just went back and just hung out, you know, after three, like, after a whole truck was eliminated. Right. And uh, you went back to a family, you know, kids and everything. And I couldn't even imagine experiencing that and then going back and playing dad, like, oh, I got to take the trash out now type deal. Yeah, that's... You know, and I don't want to. I don't want to sound. You know, woe is me and uh, and that kind of shit. Because you know, we know what we signed up for. Mm-hmm. But, but the deal is that cops specifically, and I know the vets that are over there see some bad shit, man. And I know some bad shit goes on over there. And I'm not taking anything away from any of that. But uh, mm-hmm. you know, stateside here, the stuff that we deal with, and it's all relative as, as to where you work. You know? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. What you're see, you're you're always going to see something bad in your career. Um, but you you see all this stuff, and really, yeah, you have to go home, and your my thought, anyways, is you want to shelter your family from that stuff because you've put yourself out there, and you know it's your job to deal with all this bad shit, but you're trying not to bring all that bad shit home, and you're trying to protect their innocence, and you're trying to, to have some form of sanity at home, you don't realize though that all that shit still affects you mm-hmm. and still makes you a different person, and you don't even know you're a different person, dude. Yeah. And I haven't figured that out until probably the last five years. Wow. That that for probably probably twenty of my twenty three years, I was a complete asshole to my family, um, and it's because you're carrying all that shit. Yeah. And you're trying to protect them, and you end up being quick on the fuse, or just going home and vegging out because you don't want to talk about all that shit. You're trying to just mellow out. And some some people go home and self medicate and get caught up in that stuff. And so yeah, it's uh, and everything that I'm talking about for us carries over for the vets. It's oh, all the same dude, shit. It is, man. I mean, there's a battle going on home for a lot of people don't realize that, but. We're in a serious situation right now. Right. You know what I mean? So when you have hard days like that, what do you like to do? Like, do you go home? Do you lift some weights? Do you, you know, like woodwork? Do you have any crazy hot? Do you knit? <laughs> <laughs> well, A, uh, I have fucking ADD, so I can never knit because I would just be seeing squirrels all the time. Um, I don't know, man. You know, weird. I think uh, there's probably a lot of stuff I do to kind of, I guess, medicate for that stuff. And and, uh, lifting is is one of the big ones, Um, you know, because it just helps you release that energy. And and you can kind of, you kind of put your your headphones on, get in your own world with whatever music you want to listen to, and kind of do your thing, you know, take it out against the weights and um, I used to do some fighting, so I would do some Muay Thai fighting and that kind of stuff, and that's another way to get out your aggression. Because the the thing is at work, man, um, everything it, it's like a camouflage world, bro. Because we're operating, we're expected to pick out bad people 
amongst civilians. And so the warfighters overseas now know exactly what I'm talking about because the rules for you guys have changed too. Um, it, you know, when you guys are on straight up warfare and it's soldier against soldier all day long, you know, because you know your enemy, you can identify your enemy and you go after it. Um, but now the kind of war they're fighting is exactly what we fight over here. There's assholes yeah. mixed in with all these good people and you gotta kind of pick them out, figure them out, and then you've got to be able to stay alive and beat them to the punch uh, while you're doing all this right. figuring out. And now, nowadays, especially, you have to do it like in a politically correct way. So I, I have to kill them nicely if they're trying to kill me or politically correctly. And it's so tough anymore, dude. And it's the same for the military. I mean, their hands are being tied so much that I've that heard, just adds to the stress. Yeah, I've heard some uh, just horrible stories about overseas and like a lot of uh, Marines dying could have been completely prevented if they would have just stayed, if the fucking politics would have just stayed out of it. Right. And we just did more like they're an enemy, we're an enemy in their eyes and let's just have at it. Right. You know what I mean? Well, look at the Benghazi mess. Oh, they do. Those mm -hmm. dudes didn't have to go out like that. Yeah. They could have saved them. Mm -hmm. They could have taken that embassy back. They could have yeah. done a bunch of stuff if they would have just we could have wreaked havoc up in right. there. You know? <laughs> uh, that was, I don't oh, know. Dude, there's, I mean, I mean, dude, well, I don't know how it is now. The world was always afraid of us because they know, especially you fuckers. You say Marines anywhere in the world, and dude. people are like, oh shit, please don't send them here. Because <laughs> they know. Even the insurgents in Ramadi were scared of us, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? They would announce over the fucking mosque intercoms, like, hey, the Marines are here. Right. Be careful type deal, you know? That's what I'm saying, but, and, and we're losing our place in the world yeah. because of these shitheads in power. Yeah. And it's, it's, uh, it's disheartening. It's, it's really dangerous. It is. Very dangerous, and a lot of people, like, we are considered a safe neighborhood where we're at right now, but right. I think if you, if you think you are safe, you are in a dangerous spot. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because well, those safe neighborhoods are exactly where the shitheads hang yeah. out. Well, a lot of people don't understand, like, oh, there's only 1% of the criminals, but how much of that 1% is chilling right in this very block right, right now? You know what I mean? So it's just insane. And I talk with my wife about it all the time. Like, we're not safe, and she knows that. Yeah. And she can read me, like, when I'm out in public and stuff, like, yeah, we need to get out of here type deal. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and you and I have talked about that before. I think mm -hmm. when, you, uh, when you're talking, like, law enforcement and soldiers and how close the relation is it's so similar it's it's eerie man because it's all the same stuff like all the stuff that bothers you bothers me like oh dude we go somewhere crowded i just start getting really anxious and I, I don't like being around crowds i don't like being around a lot of noise i get really anxious i'm like looking everywhere i'm waiting for that that one dude to pop up because you know he's in that crowd right, you exactly. just can't find him. exactly and so you're just on like information overload and you're just like ah, ah, ah. And so you just want to get away from there. You know, your quiet place where mm -hmm. you can kill them from a thousand yards. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, to all the, uh, I guess, uh, cops or military people out there that are really, like, stressing right now. They're, I guess, building up. I guess, I remember we were talking earlier about everything, like, is like a glass. You know, and you can imagine all that emotional but all that crazy shit that you see, all those just nasty seeing uh, things pile up in that glass and eventually overflows. What do you suggest 
to stop it from overflowing, to prevent it from overflowing. Dude, you, you've got to talk to somebody. So the biggest thing is you always feel like there's nobody that knows your shit. God, and man. I can guarantee you that there's somebody out there that does. Their story almost matches identically your story. Um, and if it doesn't, they've been through some worse shit than you. <laughs> <laughs> and then after you get done talking to them, you're like, damn, I thought I was messed up. Yeah, I'm, doing, I'm doing all right, you know? Mm-hmm. I, feel, I feel that way even. I'm missing a, I'm missing a fucking leg, you know what I mean? Right. And then someone right. tells me if they're completely 100% able-bodied. You know leg. Yeah, you couldn't tell, bro. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> I've known you for three years. I didn't know you didn't have. <laughs> I thought that was your gangster walk, yes. dude. <laughs> I thought that was my limp, bro. <laughs> but uh, no, man. Duh. And they would tell me their story. I'm like, oh my god, why did I even? Right. Why did I even bring that up? <laughs> right? Yeah. Oh, dude, I'm just missing legs. This is like a quadruple MVP. Yeah. 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 Right. There's always somebody that has it worse than you. And you know what, I hate to say that they have it worse than you, because a lot of times, man, dudes like you have it together more than people that have all their limbs. And so it's all in between the ears, man. And so when guys understand that a lot of that bullshit is their mind, and they can override that shit, all they need to do is just talk, you know, speak to somebody, find somebody that they connect with, and uh, that, that's what's going to get them through that stuff. And I think that the feeling that they're alone, that they're the only one fighting that battle, is, is why it ends up. Because, you know, as well as I do, there's a lot of vets that are committing suicide every day. Yeah. And it's the same on our side. It's getting worse and worse. Yeah, I was just about to say something. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's not just all these, man. No, it's, it's all these stressors that we're talking about. It's, it's the stress of the job. It's the stress society puts on you. It's the stress of your family, your bills, you know, all the stuff that you got going on. And, you know, you just, when you, I think when you take a step back and you really look at what's important, because I can tell you, I'm, I'm 43 coming up on 44. What's important has really changed in the last couple of years. And it's because when you're 20 or 30 something, you, you just think, oh, I'm going to have all the time in the world. And now I'm hitting my 40s, and I'm like, holy shit. All that time I had is slipping away, yeah. you know? And, and uh, it's a little bit harder to get up in the morning. It's a little bit harder to get started. It's, yeah. you know, all the things that go along with age. All of a sudden, you realize, man, i got to get off my butt and start doing the things that I had always planned on doing that I'm not doing. And it's, again, it's all mental. It all comes yeah. back to mental. The people that are missing the body parts, they are more, I guess, I don't even know, I guess above water than the people. My VA nurse told me that when I went in for my psych checkup, whatever that I go into. And she said, you will see amputees that are more motivated, more dedicated than the actual able-bodied ones. Right. And so it's kind of, de- it's very depressing. You know what I mean? Right. Well, I think a lot of it has to do with, uh, and actually when I was in church today, the, the message hit on it, that uh, Americans are very affluential, especially these last few generations. They haven't had to put up with hardships. You know what I mean? They've had Xboxes and Playstations and all that shit, and uh, they haven't had a real rough life like our grandparents did, you know, when, when 
I remember my grandpa telling me stories, and he was a World War II vet, and he made it through the Depression. They would tell me stories where they would take a loaf of bread, and they would cook a loaf of bread with a small chunk of meat and a bunch of juice, and they would basically get a, a really small chunk of meat, and they would get a huge chunk of bread, but the bread tasted like meat, so it would give them you know, the, the feeling that they were eating more meat. And that's kind of how they survived. So, like, they really had to work their ass off, and they were scraping by to just eat. Yeah. And uh, Americans haven't had to suffer them in the last couple generations. Well, this generation. I haven't. You know, well, I, I had, when I was young, my parent, I had a lot of bologna sandwiches because my parents didn't have a lot of yeah. money. You know, but still, we had a shelter overheads. Right. My parents fucking loved me. You had a house. You always knew yeah. that the cupboard was had something in it. Yeah. Right. No, it was, uh, I know my dad grew up on some hard times, so did my mom, so I think my generation, like one, maybe four, and up, haven't really seen any hard struggle, you know what I mean? Yeah, and so I think uh, when you take guys like yourself, haven't had a lot of struggle in life, um, not to your fault, just the way shit yeah. was, Yeah. and then all of a sudden you're faced with something like, you don't have a leg anymore, well... That's some serious struggle, bro. I, you know, I, I think about you all the time, when I, and I honestly do, man. When, I, when I'm doing squats, I'm like, fucking Ben is a stunt, dude. <laughs> you're doing squats with one leg. Dude. And, you know what I mean? And, and so I think about all the things like, I'm complaining about getting out of bed with my back hurts, but I got two legs, you know? I don't have to hook on a prosthetic. I don't have to do all this stuff. And, and you guys, you specifically, staying as motivated as you are and as good-spirited as you are and having to do all this extra shit that regular guys and gals don't have to do. So that's what I'm saying. I think uh, you guys face some serious adversity. Now, there's some of the, some of the amputees and stuff uh, that are vets that, that don't make it. I mean, there's some that go down the wrong roads. And, oh, dude, I mean, sure. you were on that road, bro. Oh, so, dude, yeah, man. Like, but oh, the ones that make it through, shit. You guys are stronger than yeah. To me, like, losing the leg wasn't a big deal. It was so weird because I talked with my mom. I talked with my mom, had a conversation, you know, like, ah, I'll lose a leg and I'm okay with that, you know, and it happened. And I already came at peace with that. Right. And it was kind of, I guess, relief because I kind of knew something was going to happen to that sort. When it actually did, I was like, oh, it yeah. finally happened. <laughs> you know? But that, I still have shitty days. I always thought it was going to be my leg. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And I've always had problems with this right leg. Um, I jumped off a train car. I used to work at a grain inspection. I jumped off a train car to like, I think it was like 12 feet into a bottom of an iron flatbed. <laughs> and it, it fucked my ankle up big uh, time. And then I broke it in the Marine Corps and I had plates and screws in it. And then <laughs> I just got rid of it six months later. <laughs> But I think that was the least of my problems. I still have shitty days. Like today, I, I had a rough day today. You know what I mean? Right. Just had a hard time getting going, of course. Um, come up, I don't know, I just had a bad day. You know what I mean? Not all days are 100%. I oh, firmly shit, that's nobody. Yeah. A sad, a sad is a needed emotion. Right. You know what I mean? Have you seen that movie, Inside Out? No, not yet. It's a cartoon. No, I haven't seen it. No. By far one of the saddest movies I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Because they nailed it or what? Oh, dude, yeah. And then you'll discover why sad is a needed emotion if you watch that. But it was crazy. 
Yeah, dude, you know, uh, well, I know this isn't, obviously, by our language, this isn't a uh, religious show, but... Um, yeah, 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 um, dude. You know that, uh, when, you know, when you and I first met, that's when I was, I, was, I had just kind of come back to church, mm-hmm. and that's a whole long story of its own, but nonetheless, that was a huge help to me, and uh, my wife has mentioned several times that after I came back to church and like I really started listening, not just going to go because yeah. I thought I was supposed to go, uh, but actually going to listen to the message and actually trying to live the way I was supposed to yeah. live according to God. Oh yeah, yeah. That I'm, I'm, I'm a more peaceful dude. I mean, don't get me wrong, I'll go to war, yeah. but uh, I guess uh, my heart is at peace. Yeah. And so, um, my wife has told several people that I'm not angry anymore. And I, you know, um, and I didn't know that I was ever angry, but apparently I was. And so when I look back, I'm like, you know what? It, what it was was what I wasn't even recognizing is all that stuff pent up inside you that has you in a rage, yeah. and you don't even realize you're in a rage, and you're pissed off at the world, and you're pissed off at you're pissed off at who the fuck could do this to a kid, yeah. and you're pissed off at who could act this way. And why would people treat each other like this? And, you know, you, you're pissed off at all that stuff that goes along with doing the job that we do. And you don't even realize it until you are at peace. And then you're like, holy smokes, man, I was, I was really messed up back there. And it's weird because, like, I was never off the charts drinking, like an alcoholic or anything like that. I'd have good times here and there. Um, but uh, I never really did anything real crazy and went down any rabbit holes where I couldn't survive or come back. But nonetheless, I was a different person because of all that shit bottled up inside you. And I never would I never would talk to anybody because I didn't think I needed to talk to anybody. You know, I figured I could handle this shit myself. And I thought I was doing a good job of it. Um, but you, you don't know because if, if you're the one that's gauging how you're doing all the time, you're always going to be cool. Yeah. Because, you know, you, you have your ego, and you're like, oh, I'm good. Yeah. Um, but when you start listening to other people and, and say, hey, you know, like, how am I? And they're like, you're an asshole. Well, shit. <laughs> Here, I thought I was doing good. You know? Yeah. That's what, uh, how charity is. It's because you, I started going to uh, church again. Right. And charity was out. She knows a lot about the Bible. She follows Jesus and she would talk to me about it, but, you know, I was kind of stubborn and went, like, no, I'm good. You know, I don't need Jesus, whatever. And then I started going to it, and I started going back to church, and I was like an emotional wreck. Right. And then I started reading into it, started reading different books and all that, and it really does help come at peace. Oh, dude. You know what I mean? Big time. Dude. And you understand that, no, there isn't evil in the world. It's not God doing everything. Right. Okay? It's pure evil going on right now, yeah. you know? Yeah, and, and uh, you know, they, they've said there's been a couple different sermons in church that have hit me pretty hard. One of them is when they talk about your heart, and I have no doubt that that you and I both, and probably anybody listening to this podcast, because they're all, you know, from the same, same cast, <laughs> that your heart is hard. My heart is hard, your heart is hard, because we've seen hard shit and we've lived hard times Mm -hmm. and you become hardened to the world because you have to Mm -hmm. to live you know Um, 
is that you can't turn that shit off when you go home. Mm-hmm. So be, you become hard at home mm-hmm. and you start treating your family the same way you treat hard people out in the world. <laughs> so for soldiers, they come home and it's like, you will fucking do what I say. You will do this. You will do that. Well, it's the same shit for me as a cop. I come home and I'm barking orders instead of treating them like my family. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so on the streets and same for the soldiers serving overseas, you got a bad guy in front of you. You're not telling him too many times what to do. You're going to tell him once and then you're probably going to make him do it after that. And so what that translates to at home with your kids is that you become this huge monster to them because you're just constantly like, what the fuck I told you to do, you know? And you're not understanding why they're not doing it because people on the street, it's it's almost easier to deal with them because if I'm pointing a gun at you and giving you some commands, that's pretty simple language. Everybody understands that shit. Like, I'm not playing. Get on the ground or do what I'm telling you to do. And you come home and you try and translate that to a five-year-old who just views you as daddy, not as the cop, not as the soldier. Um, it turns you into that that monster, that asshole, you know. And it's so you got to realize that that stuff is going on, and you got to be like, all right, I, you know, there's got to be a clear separation. And I think where where you fix a lot of that stuff is through either your family, your significant other, or your church, because you have to go to somebody who isn't in that same program, and you have to use them as kind of your compass to guide you as to how your behavior should be. With, uh, I use my wife a lot. I ask her now a lot, like, hey, how am I doing? Is there anything that I'm doing that's crazy or anything that's doing uncomfortable? You know what I mean? Right. And I'm like, how did you stay with me this whole time? Because <laughs> she'd tell me stories, I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> same here. Man. Well, damn, that got me. I hear you, man, because same way for me and my wife. Same way she'll, she'll know instantly what's going like your mood is off or you know something's off she would know um like i told you uh, there was a uh, a car wreck that i went to and when i got there it had just happened and i actually saw um i saw the explosion of flame um from the wreck and i didn't even know what it was and then it came over the radio that there was a wreck and i was almost to it and so i pull up and there's another guy there and there's a, a car on fire and there's people, you know, kind of running around. It's just kind of chaotic. Well, there's a lady inside the car, and it's not fully engulfed yet. It's just kind of on fire in the engine area. So I run back to my trunk. I get a, a fire extinguisher, and when I turn around to run back towards the car, the gas tank goes. And so, boom, it's fully engulfed now. And I mean, flames are rolling hard, dude. And she's flailing around inside, and I didn't know it at the time, but her foot was stuck. And from the impact, her foot had become wedged in between some metal and was stuck. And she wasn't getting out of there unless I cut her leg off. And not knowing that at the time, I was trying to uh, get to her. I was trying to spray the the fire extinguisher, but the flames were so hot, I couldn't get that close. And so just standing there listening to her scream for help and not being able to do a damn thing but watch her burn to death was one of the hardest things I've ever done. And... When I went home that night, my wife, well, the next morning, because it was late at night. Uh, so the next morning when I got up, my wife already knew something was wrong with me. 
and uh, she asked me, and I was like, I don't know, I'm good. And, you know, I did the typical man thing, you know, so I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. So it, it was probably a day or two later. She goes, look, I, you're not good. Something's wrong. And uh, so I told her, well, you know, here's, here's the deal. And uh, so that was one of my, I was probably, I don't know, maybe six or seven years into this job then. And... Uh, that was one of my early on lessons that wow. Um, the more I talked about those things with whoever, uh, whoever I trusted to talk about it, um, the more it helped. And yeah. and I didn't realize that it would do that, and I didn't even know why. I still don't know why, but it it does. It it does real good to help. Um, I lost somebody of mine in two thousand seven, and uh, I. Probably for two years, I couldn't talk about that incident without losing it. But the more I talked about it, the easier it became, which to me equates to mentally I'm able to deal with that now. Yeah, it helps out tremendously. Um, Jason, he's been, since I first met, first met him in 2010, he's like, you need to come talk to my team, you need to come talk to my team. I was like, fuck no, man, I'm busy here, what happened to me? And then uh, finally, I was like, yeah, sure, in 2012, I finally gave in, and that's how I met you, but his and yours was by far the most emotional, like his, I cried through the whole freaking thing, you know what I mean? Yeah. And yours, I cried a little bit, you know, but um, the more it goes on, now I can tell it pretty good. Right. There's some moments, though, where some moods that go into it, and it's just... Yeah, there's still times, dude, where when you go through... There's probably, there's probably six or seven events through my career that I can tell them, um, but every once in a while, the right, the right moment or the right atmosphere or whatever, I'll still kind of lose it. Yeah, man. Yeah. And that's a normal emotion. Like, those are situations that our brains were not, were not created to see. We're not wired to see that type of shit, you know? Yeah, well, and, and we joke quite a bit, I'm sure it's oh, to the military side, that if I could finish my career, uh, you know, if, if I'm going to do 25 or 30 years or whatever I'm going to do, but at the end of it, if those men in black dudes could show up and uh, just do that flashing thing for me yeah. and just let me forget everything I've ever known, because I'll tell you what, man, one thing people don't know who don't know is that ignorance is bliss. So all these sheep that live in the world and are just going through life not knowing all this shit, uh, they actually have a pretty happy life because, yeah, you know, they it's don't because know. Of, it's because people like you step up and are like, you know what, I'm protecting these guys. Well, well yeah, it's all of us, dude. I mean, yeah. it's the, you know, so when you talk about the military, the thing that the people don't realize is the reason that we are facing the threats at home now that we're facing is because the military's hands have been tied overseas. We've been able to keep these bastards out of America, or not out of America, yeah. but you know, not doing the shit that they're doing here for a long time, and uh, that has come to an end. They are now here, and they're going to hurt us. But just, just everything, dude. You know, um, people that that know, or that pay attention, or that have that awareness level from being in the military or in law enforcement, you. You're never able to step out of that world because you know that evil is all around us. And it is. It's a living, breathing thing. Right. You know what I mean? And right. I always tell people that, especially here. I'm like, 
This ain't a safe neighborhood. <laughs> right. It's not. Okay. You got Ben here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because uh, my son Rabbit ran out in the street. People were out walking, like hanging out with their kids and stuff. And I yelled at Adam. I think I gave him a little spanking or something because he ran out in the street. Right. And I'm like, you look over and you see like the kids like grab the kids like, okay, kids, let's go inside. The veteran hasn't taken his meds yet. <laughs> He has some post-traumatic yeah. stress going on. Let's yeah. get inside yeah. his before he goes off. Yeah. He has the PTSD. <laughs> That's right. I think he has a weapon also. We should get out of here. This is no longer safe. That's one thing, especially this past couple of years. Like, I don't know if it's now because I kind of mature in a way, but or just definitely more aware of our situation and the way things are just absolutely crazy now that it's... Uh, Safe is not a safe word. I think safe is a fake, superficial word. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. There is no safe anymore. There's no. Just, I mean, we're just surviving, essentially. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, safe is uh, is all relative, I guess. I mean, if we had a whole neighborhood of cops and vets that were all geared up mm -hmm. and ready to roll, that'd be a pretty safe neighborhood. But oh, yeah. when you live in an area, especially, you know, in America, when, yeah. when you're living in a melting pot, and especially the way we're letting people in here on check, mm -hmm. there's nothing safe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's a different world now, man. Mm -hmm. So what do you like to do, uh, I guess, what do you like to do for fun? I mean, what do you, why, do you have any coping uh, mechanisms? I can party like a rock yeah. star, bro. With your shirt off? <laughs> <laughs> I just go to tattoo shops, take my shirt off, and then whatever happens, yeah. happens. I take over the front desk, you know, right. they need that first impression. Right. People right. walk in. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, so I, I hunt and I fish. Uh, I try and do that. I don't do that as much as I should. Um, but that is that's one coping mechanism. Like for me, getting away like that, especially uh, you know when you're with your kids and you're able to just teach them basic stuff. Yeah. Uh, but just yeah, that kind of stuff. Getting away, being alone, uh, out in the wilderness gives you some good time to reflect. Um, it actually lets you think about a lot of things, like where you actually stand in the world. Because when you look around, when you like stop, and there's no bullshit, there's no phones, TVs, none of that crap, and you look around and see what your place is in the world, it lets you know really quick that you're not as important as you think you are. Um, and then it, it also puts in perspective, I think, what is important in your world. Um, because we have so much noise nowadays too. Yeah. You know, there's so much, there's so much gibberish going on around you, and yeah. internet, and you know, TV, and just all that crap. And you're able to get away from all that, uh, get in touch with like the real you, yeah. and just chill, mm -hmm. relax, and do man shit, dude. Yeah. You know, yeah. Sit around a campfire, drink some whiskey, and tell bullshit stories. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Talk to a lot of veterans, a lot of. Uh, police personnel and they all uh, especially the vets they just miss hanging out with their boys and just right. shooting the shit you know right what do you suggest to the people out there struggling right now that are just um, just listening right now and they're scared to go out just because they feel like people don't won't understand them or they feel their family doesn't understand them well like I said earlier on there's always somebody yeah. that understands you <clears throat> and I know, you know, almost everybody is a Facebooker nowadays oh. and, and is on some type of social media. I can guarantee you that if you put something on social media that, man, I'm having a bad day, mm -hmm. there's
there's going to be somebody on there, and it may not even be somebody that you know, that will say, hey, brother, I do what you do, or I did what you did, and I'd be willing to talk, just hit me up. And I, I know that's the one beautiful thing about this generation of, of those serving and the ones that are vets, is that they understand all this shit, and they're willing to step up and, and help and talk to people, whatever. I, I mean, I've met so many guys that are like, dude, if you get anybody that's in that kind of trouble, just have them call me. And they're basically saying, here's my personal number. I don't care who you are. Just call me because I I know and, and I want to help you. Um, so it's just reaching out and understanding, just, just dropping that hole, I'm the only one like yeah. this because you're not alone. No, the rest of us are like the most of us. Right. But most of us are like the one of those. Almost yeah. yeah. You find a lot of people in the law enforcement community get involved in like the MMA or like I guess team sports like rugby type stuff on the weekends. There's a lot of uh, a lot of MMA. The problem with us and MMA is that now it's used against you. So because <laughs> if I uh, you know if. If I train in MMA and that's kind of my outlet, then I go to work and I get in a fight and I press a kick a dude, then, <laughs> you know, they get all pissed off and they're like, you're not supposed to, that's not an approved technique, sir. And, you know, it's because of this damn MMA. And you're like, no, oh, you know, just whatever. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of guys that do MMA. There's a lot of CrossFitters. Um, you know, the, the working out is big. Uh, the, the old... Fat cop eating donuts stuff is kind of the old days. There's a lot of young gunners out there, yeah. and they're they're living life right. They're they're doing a lot of good things. And same with the vets, dude. I mean, these you look at the I was like, you know, I was back in Quantico for a few months, yeah. doing some training back there, and I would go to the MCX, and dude, it was it was so it did my heart so good because seriously, like in my line of work, you think that the young all these youngsters and the, the younger generations, you're like, these fuckers, America's <laughs> right? And then you go to the MCX, and you see all these hardcore Marines that are 18 years old, dude. 18 yeah. years old. Yeah. And some of them, 20 years old, that have already seen battle. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, just hardcore American-loving dudes. Mm-hmm. And it just does the heart good, because I, I, I'd go to the MCX, dude, just to... Just go over there and see hardcore movies yeah. and be like, fuck yeah, America. Pick, pick up the vibe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so check this out. Your, your Marines listening will love this story. So me and a buddy, we go to the MCX and, and we, we pull in and he, he parks in a, a parking spot that's marked G-E-N. And so I'm like, bro, uh, I don't think you can park here. And he's like, yeah, man, it's general parking. And I'm like, yeah, dude, it's not that kind of general. <laughs> And he's like, oh, what do you mean? I said, well, that's a general, like, stars on his collar. I said, I'm pretty sure those Marines are going to whoop our ass if you park in their general's parking spot. So we moved. <laughs> Thank you for doing that, man. Should have rebelled it and just seen what would happen. You would have been fine. I would have been all right because I'm the passenger, dude. I just took off running like I got warrants. <laughs> I'm just pretending like I wasn't with him. I, I told him not to sit there. <laughs> he's Air Force. Yeah. <laughs> Did you see a lot of mixed forces up there? Or is it just straight, like, Marines? Well, Quantico's... Just uh, feds and stuff. Yeah, Quantico's pretty much just feds and Marines. Yeah. Which is, uh... It's a weird mixture, because feds is. are different cats. Yeah, dude. Marines are just... 
I mean, Marines are beautiful to be around, dude, because, you know, I, I, I'm just an old school guy. I was raised by an old Texan who was my grandpa. And, uh, Kicked your ass every once Yeah, exactly. And so, dude, I've, I've always had love for the Marines because they always tell it like it is, and there ain't one of them I've ever been, ever been afraid to step the fuck up for what's right. I fucking appreciate you, man. Right. Same here, brother. Do you got any last... Well, I would guess uh, since we're on the theme, my last word would be: if you're in, if you're in that spot, if you're that guy or girl right now that you think the world's coming down on you and that you're alone, that that you're not alone. All you need to do is look around, and very close to you is going to be somebody just like you that is willing to share that burden, and that whatever seems like you can't get out of in that moment will seem like some piddly shit down the road. So just reach out, talk to somebody, and uh, work through that shit together. Do not be scared, man. That's right. It's going to be scary, but it'll be well worth it, dude. That's right. Yeah, it, it's, it is. I think one of, the big, one of the big misconceptions is that that is weakness if you're reaching out. And that's, that's not weakness, man. That's what we're there for. That's, that's, that's why brothers and sisters are there. Mm-hmm is to carry that burden. Exactly. So, yeah. Cool, man. Well, America's still the greatest country in the world. I don't no, care what anyone says. Oh, I don't either. I mean, we have a weak-ass president right now, but yeah. we're about to get over that. Heck yeah, dude. Like, yeah. Fucking America, dude. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, thank you so much for coming out, man. It's thank always you, a pleasure. Man. Absolutely, brother. I appreciate you. I appreciate all the vets out there, man, and, and uh, anyone else listening, thank you. Thank you so much, man. All right, brother. All right, later. Later.